0: Hello and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Hey, we've been in a series titled Raised to Life, and really what this series is, it's an in-depth look at the book of Ephesians. What we're doing, it's unlike anything we've ever done as a church. We're going through the entire book verse by verse, and it's funny because when we started this, we're like, we don't know how long this is going to last, but we're cruising through it, making our way through it. Have y'all enjoyed this, going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse? cool. So here's where we are today. Ephesians 4. We're in the midsection of Ephesians chapter 4. Today, we're going to be breaking down verses 11 through 16. Okay, if you got your Bibles, you can open up. I'm reading out of the NLT this morning. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says this, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Okay, verse 12, their responsibility... So the reason for these characters, the reason for these roles, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Okay, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature. Everyone say mature that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature. Everyone say immature. Immature. Everyone say boo. Come on, we don't want to be immature. (laughs) Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, growing, growing, maturing, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body in the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. I love this last little piece of uh, verse 16 here. It says, as each part does its own special work. Say special work. work. Say, "I I have special work. I want everybody in this room to understand that God's gifted you in a unique way. And there's special work he wants to accomplish specifically through you so the church can fulfill its role collectively. We have to step into our roles. I'll get through the verse, then we'll start preaching. Okay, verse 16. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. As I do my role, you do your role, the whole thing grows. Okay? So as the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Come on, I want to be a church full of love. You want to be a church full of love? Okay, let's pray. Um, Jesus as we go to your word, as as I communicate your word this morning, I pray for an anointing. God, I pray that you would use me to to deliver your message with clarity. And right now, I pray that you would prepare hearts. As, As people sit under my voice in this moment, whether it's in this room or it's on a podcast or wherever it may be, I pray that you would till the soil of their heart right now, soften it to receive the seed of your word. As the seed of your word goes forth, I pray that it would take root in our heart. It would grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't want to just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers also in your holy and mighty name. We all said, amen. Amen. So, you know, like I said, the series has been a little unique In in the fact where we're we're going through the entire book, verse by verse, so we're building, each week we're kind of building. So there's not necessarily a whole lot of, you know, recap that we have to do. Um, I just, there's a passage of scripture I'm going to break down every week. So literally what I'll do is I prep the message for that specific passage out of Ephesians is I'll read it hundreds of times hundreds of times. And then I'll, I'll read the commentaries that are with it, and I'll, and I'll get some different perspectives, and I'll try to dig deeper on what does this mean, and what are they talking about, and what's the cultural background, and the historical background, and, and then I'll read it, you know, hundreds of more times. And really, what I what I try to do before I ever get into the message, before I ever even put the pen to the paper, or my fingers to the keypad, is I try to it, it, take the passage that I'm breaking down and summarize it with a simple paraphrase statement of what is this passage communicating? If I had to summarize this, the, these couple verses right here, what would be like the one takeaway that I see being communicated in these verses? And as I did that this week, as I sat down, here's what I concluded. If I had to sum up this passage and say, here's the point, here's the principle, it's this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Christ desires to see his church mature. Christ desires to see his church mature. And and Paul basically writes, as we learn more and more about Jesus, we'll mature more and more in the Lord. He, He goes on to say, as we learn more and more about Jesus, he says, then we will no longer be like immature children. And I got to thinking about this whole concept of maturity, 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 and I got to think about what it looks like to be mature. And like, you know, when, some, when we consider someone to be mature, or something to be mature, what are, what are the characteristics we see that person carry out and live with? When we think of someone as immature, you know, what, what is behavior or characteristics that would define someone or something that's immature, and, and what does that look like? And then I began to reflect on my life personally, which is painful. Um, But I reflected on my own life and and thought, you know, how have I matured over the years? And then then I reflected on times when I was younger and thought, you know, what were immature moments I did? When was I, you know, what were some immature things I did? And there was too many to count, so I had to chill out with that thought. Um, But I can remember as a kid, like, you know, walking through the store with my mom, like real little, you know, maybe first grade or something like that. And I'm like, Mom, I want a Slim Jim. And she's like, you can't have a Slim Jim. And it's like, okay, so I'll just steal it, right? And I just take it out and walk to my car, and she catches me and makes me bring it back in. I got to apologize to the cashier. It's embarrassing. But but I was immature. Like, it wasn't like I, I didn't get what I wanted, so I, I was deceitful. I, I was immature. I, I can remember drama over, you know, relationships. Y'all remember middle school relationships? What a, what a train wreck. Middle schoolers in the room, stop it, all right? It's uh, a... <laughs> It's like, I, you know, I like Sally, but, you know, Sally likes Brandon, and Brandon, you know, likes Sally, and I'm, I'm mad at her for liking Brandon, so I'm going to hate Brandon because Sally likes Brandon. It's, like, not even his fault, but I'm like, dude, how could you, you know? Like, it, it's just, you know, I was envious. I was jealous, just immature. You know, like, this is just immaturity. At its finest, I think about this. Even this past week, I'm hanging out with my nephew, and I love my nephew. The kid is just incredible. Like, we're super close. We have this awesome bond. But I'll be in the middle of like conversation with adults, like serious conversation. And this kid is just like climbing on me, like ripping my shirt, like trying to sit on my shoulders. And it's like, dude, this is like, what are you doing? You're being immature, okay? Stop. He's like three or four years old. (laughs) Get it together, man. But if we were to be honest in the room, um, you know, maybe we know somebody, maybe even somebody we love um, is just blatantly immature. Maybe we've just dealt with some people who are just blatantly immature. And immaturity, and y'all can say amen right here if you want, but immaturity can be so frustrating, can't it? can just be frustrating. It's like, I don't think any of us have ever spent time around someone who's incredibly immature and been like, wow, that was so refreshing, you know? Just, it just doesn't work like that. And immaturity, it manifests in so many different ways. Like when, when someone's immature, they, they don't consider other people's feelings right they they manipulate situations or they'll never admit they're wrong this is this is what immaturity looks like they struggle to make fruitful life decisions because they're just after those instant gratification you know things i just the lustful pleasures i'm just going to jump at all those and they haven't matured enough to understand that good things take time Right, that there's a process that sometimes things are earned, or that people, sh- you know, we want to make people feel valued and, and loved. We don't just—it's not just all about you. Those are those are immature thoughts. It's quit looking around the room and looking at the people you think are immature. Y'all are sick. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, but here's the deal: we've all walked through seasons of immaturity, right? And as we grow as we get older, as we get wiser, as we attain more knowledge, hopefully, over time, we mature, right, we'll mature, and I remember one of the first moments I had, you know, where I kind of moved from thinking immaturely, and kind of stepped into a mature thought, and I was just kind of reflecting on some of this as I was thinking through some of this stuff this week, and I thought back into my later years, my upperclassman years in high school, and you know, I think something the Lord always allowed me to be. And something I, I began to recognize in high school is I was a person of influence. I felt like God had kind of given me this gift of leadership. And I felt like, you know, one of our core values is set the tone. And, and I kind of found that I could set the tone in my friend groups. And, you know, I, I, I had this God, God, you know, I just, I was just a person who seemed to carry influence in my crowd, in my community, among my peers. And I think for a long time, that was something I wanted to protect that was that was something i wanted to defend so if like you know so if people the cool thing was to like you know make fun of him then like i would make fun of him and just kind of like run with the crowd but I, I knew i had influence but sometimes it was like but i want to keep that position of influence so i'm going to do things you know i'm just going to whether it's right or wrong i'm going to do what it takes to stay in that position and i felt like as i got older um, specifically you know as i matured i recognized that as a person of influence I recognize that I have the ability to set the tone for the good and for the bad. And and I just kind of made this commitment to myself that I know there's kids in my grade specifically and there's kids in my classes specifically who are seen as outcasts and they get made fun of all the time. And who knows what they have going on at home? Who knows what they're wrestling with? It was this perspective change that I had as like a junior or senior and I felt like it was There was some maturing that happened in my soul, and um, there's this cool story of specifically there was a kid in my class, and you know he'd paint his nails black, and he would dress in all black, and you know his music taste was totally different than my music taste. And one of his hobbies was—I don't know if I've told you guys this story or not—but one of his hobbies was making horror horror films. Like that's what he liked. Have I told you guys this story? No. Okay. So um, his name was Steve, and. We were in class, and so I would just ask him. And, and for whatever reason, I just felt like me and me and Steve are in two totally different social circles. Like none of his friends are friends with my friends. The world, you know, the worldly perspective. Looking, Mark and Steve would never be friends. I'm like, you know, athlete. I'm playing sports. He's making horror movies on on the side. Like I just two totally different. You know, I think maybe he he played. Um, music, like just different interests, different, different, and, and I remember just, Lord, and my friends probably didn't connect with Steve or care to connect with Steve, but for whatever reason, God gave me a burden for this kid, and I just, I just want to make, who knows, and, and I think I was mature enough to understand that if, if he, these are some of his interests, maybe there's some dark, maybe there's some darkness he's wrestling with, you know, and so I just started to love on Steve. I made it my, if I'm a person of influence, and people, for whatever reason, place value on me or my opinion. I'm going to use that to bring value to others. It was like I made this personal commitment to myself. So I just began to pursue Steve and love on Steve. And I, man, what, what movie are you making this week? And, you know, just, just trying to love on this kid. And so whatever. It was like no big deal. Just kind of happened. And we kind of became friends. And I remember it was, I was in, I had graduated high school, about a year removed from high school. And I, and I got a call from my dad. And he leaves me a voicemail, and he goes, hey, he goes, today I was at the seafood store. He's back in Rhode Island at the time. He goes, and the kid cashing me out, goes, hey, are you, are you Mark Griffith's dad? Because my dad's a senior. I'm a junior, so he recognized the name. And my dad's like, yeah, that, that's my kid. And he goes, wow. He goes, man, I just want to tell you, um, Mark, Mark helped me through a lot of hard times. And it's crazy because I never really knew, you know? I just got a burden for this kid and started to love on this kid, and I don't share that story to illustrate you know how great of a guy I am, um, although that's part of it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but I tell that story to, to illustrate the fact that maturity is powerful. Maturity is powerful. For the church to be mature collectively, it, it's gonna take maturity to blossom in us individually. You have to mature, I have to mature. We have to grow into the fullness of who God's calling us to be for the church to be mature. And and we'll talk on that a lot this morning. But I also want to say this, that a mature church, a mature church is an effective church. A mature church is an effective church. And you know what the Lord put in my heart as I was preparing this? This was never really a thought I had until I was piecing together this message. Um, But it's this, that immaturity is a sin issue. Immaturity is is a sin issue, and maybe you hear that and you're like, what are you you talking about? Because maybe we just mark it up as ignorance or something like that, but I think at the root, I think immaturity is a sin issue, and and as we look at the scriptures, I think the scriptures would prove that true too. First Peter two, verses one through three, it says this, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all ill will, all, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, Slander of every kind. Don't talk bad about people. That's it. Get rid of all that stuff. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow up. He's saying, grow up. Saying, quit, quit messing with all these, all the the baby. We should have moved on from those things a long time ago, church. We should have matured out of our evil behavior. We should have matured out of our sin. Sin. Is it, it's an immaturity issue. Immaturity is a sin issue. I'll, I'll continue. So you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Hebrews 6.1, it says this. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again, right? He says, let us go instead and become what? Mature. Let us become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. The writers of Hebrew is saying, listen, y'all need to grow up. Y'all need to mature. I come in here every week. I preach about sin. I preach about purity. Y'all are still messing up. Like I I preach about slander. Y'all are still gossiping. I I preach, come on. You know, I I I preach about drunkenness. Y'all are still getting drunk every week. He's like, come on, we need to grow up. We, we need to, why do I have to keep preaching and talking about the same things of putting down our evil deeds? This is the, ba- this is the most basic concept of our Christian faith to live set apart, right? We've been set free from sin. Why are we still living in it? That's, that's what the writers of Hebrews saying. Why are you making me to preach and teach on this again and again? This is, this is basic. Repent from your evil deeds. Put your faith in God. And then Abigail pointed this verse out to me. I thought it was so good. We see Jesus, you know, we've talked a lot about parables, right? They're earthly stories with heavenly principles. A lot of times Jesus will tell a parable and you're kind of like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, what does that story mean? And there's the parable of the sower. And Jesus talks about, he talks about four different soils that seeds thrown out on. And he talks about what will happen to the seed as it's thrown out into the different soils. And really what we see is this parable, the four different soils are, are four different conditions of our soul. It's the, the soil of your soul. That's what Jesus is checking these people in. So he, he tells this parable, but he, he doesn't say that off the bat. So he shares this parable with the people and his disciples are around. And then the disciples get alone with him after and they're like, yo, Jesus, what did that mean? Like, what were you talking about? And he begins to describe some of this in Luke 8, 14. And I just wanted to talk about one of the soils he addressed. It says, the seeds that fell among the thorns, so there was thorny soil. He said, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life so they never grow into what? Maturity. It's that instant gratification thing of ah. Well, that looks good, that tastes good, that feels good, I'm just gonna do that, I'm just gonna taste that. And and we don't allow God's word to take root in our hearts. We don't allow that that fruit of the spirit of self-control to blossom and mature. I mean, we've talked about this, like, you know, godliness takes training. We see that in Timothy. There's a a process of becoming who God's called us to be. We can't just go blasting off, and that's immature spirituality. We don't want to be immature Christians. Amen? We want to be mature believers. And as we become mature believers individually, we will be a mature church collectively. The Lord's will is to see His church mature, He wants to see it mature. And for us to spiritually mature, we have to grow in our knowledge of Christ, but not just our knowledge, we have to grow in our application, right? I once heard it like this, information plus application equals transformation, okay? But if you just have information and no application, you got (laughs) sin, all right? That's how it goes, that's how the saying goes. Um, (laughs) So for the church to be mature, healthy, and growing, Paul gives us some insight on practical things that have been put in place by Jesus for the church to grow and to mature and to get healthy. Um, so he writes this in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Keep in mind, this: the purpose of this passage, what we found is that that Jesus desires his church to be mature, and a big part of that is going to be some of these roles in leadership responsibilities Jesus is placed over the church. So let's, let's look at it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ." So right away, we see that Christ has gifted some specific characters, some specific roles to the church, and um, these specific roles are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, and all share the same responsibility. So we have different methods, right? Same mission, build up the church. These roles exist to build up the church, okay? Um, and, And we want to build up the church because we're not just called to belong, we've been commissioned to, love it. Y'all are catching on. So let's do a brief breakdown of each one of these roles. Okay, because maybe you, you read through this passage and you're wondering, Pastor Mark, like what are these, do these characters still exist and are they for the church? And is, is, was this just for back in the days? This just the New Testament church? Like, what is a prophet? What is an apostle? So I figured it would be fruitful to take some time to break down what some would recognize as the fivefold ministry. Now we see that word pastors and teachers. Some translations will say shepherd and, and teachers. Um, so some, you know, depending on which biblical scholars you're gonna ask, they they lumped that together is one role. So there's really four positions that have been provided to the church. Some break that up and say there's two different positions. So four or five, regardless, there's, there's shepherds and, and pastors, and sometimes that role is kind of meshed in the same. So let's break it down. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, in the original language, there's one word, or, or I already told you guys that. So we have apostles. Let's, let's start with apostles. That word apostle means one that is sent out. Okay, and in the beginning of the series, we talked about how there's a difference between disciples and apostles, but a lot of times people will use those two words interchangeably because you see the 12 disciples who then become the 12 apostles, minus Judas, Judas hung himself, so then they assigned Matthias because he was faithful and there the whole time. Matthias was another disciple who was just kind of with them. So I think it's important to recognize, even though there were 12, the 12 disciples who became the 12 apostles, there were more than 12 disciples. And we see that because Jesus sends out the 72 in pairs to go minister the gospel. So, it's just because you're a disciple doesn't mean you're an apostle, and just because you are a disciple doesn't mean you become an apostle. Okay? A disciple is it's like a student who sits under a teacher, who sits under a rabbi, so to speak. It, 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 you're you're in a season of learning where the difference between a disciple and apostle is apostle is someone who is poured into, supernaturally gifted. It, it, it's a gifting of the spirit. It's a calling from God to become an apostle. You are commissioned by Christ, gifted by the Holy Spirit to go out and carry the message, okay? So we see there was Paul ends up becoming an apostle. He has an encounter with, encounter with Jesus and Jesus sends him out. This is the difference. Now, sometimes I think, you know, so do apostles exist Today, now depending on who you ask, what does that role apostle look like today? Is that for the church today? Is, is that taking place in the ministry? And depending on who you ask, you'll get all different types of answers to this question. But based off my interpretation of the scriptures, as I have gone through and studied this all week, and you know, as I try to be a good steward of God's word and communicate it effectively and clearly and accurately, I believe that God is still giving believers the gift of apostleship. I believe that. Um, I think today we see that, that gifting maybe in missionaries and those planning churches and starting missionaries. But I, d- I don't know that the church has done a great job even teaching on this or communicating about it. And if we were to see a gift of apostleship in today's culture, would we even recognize it? Or would we just kind of chalk it up as, oh, they're just really gifted. And you know they have a super special anointing or something. And it's like, no, maybe they just got the gift of apostleship. Maybe that's how they've been gifted. And maybe you're like, Pastor Mark, how'd you come to that conclusion? And um, I I have a couple verses here I want to share with you guys. Ephesians 4.11, it says, so these are the the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, right, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But then in 1 Corinthians 12, um, Paul also writes this. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 through 31, it says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Say, "I'm I'm a part. I'm a part. Okay, verse twenty. and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles. So God has placed in the church apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helping and guidance in, in different kinds of tongues. So God has gifted people as he's shaped bodies and started bodies. He's, he's distributed gifts through his Holy Spirit to his people so the church can grow and mature. Okay? Um, Verse 29, though, it says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? He's like, he's saying, maybe not necessarily everybody is going to have every spiritual gift, but he goes on to say, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And, and here's what I would say to you, because I know in this, in this room, we're a melting pot of denominations and church backgrounds. And, you know, this, this kind of stuff is stuff that can, you know, divide denominations. But, but here's what I want to challenge you with. If the Bible says eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, we need to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And whether they happen in your life, manifest in your life or not, is not for you to decide. But if he says eagerly desire these, God, come on. God, if it's a gift that you give, if it's something you have for me, I want it. And I wanna operate in it. I wanna operate in the fullness of my role that you've given. I believe God is still gifting his people with apostolic giftings. I, I don't think the church has done a great job teaching this, like I said, or having these conversations. But if the scripture is telling us that God has provided the gift for the health and growth of the church, I'm gonna believe his word. That's what I see. So we have apostle. Now we have prophet. Is this okay? Everybody with me? Okay, so now we have prophet, the second role that's mentioned here. Again, as we move through the book of Acts, you'll see that there were people with prophetic gifting who were considered prophets. And we see male and females who were referred to as prophets. And I believe God is, again, still gifting people with the gift of prophecy. And I believe prophets are still relevant for today. But if someone is to share a prophetic message or a word of prophecy, we have to utilize discernment and we have to use scripture to sort through and discern, is this a word that should be taken? Because the Bible has a lot to say about false prophets okay, and false messages. So again, let's look at 1 Corinthians where Paul goes into a little more detail on some of these gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. It says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Why is the manifestation of the spirit given? For the good. Okay? This is a good thing. This isn't a scary thing. It's not a weird thing. This is for the common good of the church. To one, there's given the Spirit um, a, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy there we go. We see that gift of prophecy. So I see that people in the church, the Holy Spirit is capable of giving his people the gift of prophecy. That is a gift that is found in the Holy Spirit. And God is equipping his church. He's equipping us for our role in the church through spiritual giftings. I have a spiritual gifting. You have a spiritual gifting. Here's what I want to encourage you. Are we eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts that God has, that he bestows through his Holy Spirit? okay? Uh, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these work of one, all these are the work of one in the same spirit, okay? They all come from the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determines. God is going to gift us how he determines, okay? We good? Now the Bible warns us, again, there's many false prophets, we aren't to believe every spirit we have, so just because, you know, prophet John walks up to you and says, I have a word from the Lord, man, we are to take that to the Lord. If that is a, if, if it doesn't line up with scripture, if it doesn't line up with truth, prophet John, that is not a word from the Lord, okay? And, and there, we need to pray for discernment in that because um, the Bible's pretty clear. Okay, so we have apostles, prophets, and then we have evangelists, and maybe some of these terms we're a little more familiar with. Um, simply put, the evangelists are those who carry the message of the gospel, and, and they're gifted to preach the good news, and, the, and they bring the gospel with them where they go. And then we have the pastors or, or shepherds and the teachers, and their job would look a lot like my role, where, you know, my job is to care for the sheep, to care for the flock. That's why maybe I've, I've come to your house or, or visited your family in the hospital or had phone calls or text message conversations and why I stand up here on a Sunday and try to break down God's word because I'm trying to care for our people. I'm, I'm trying to love our people. I'm, tr- I'm trying to teach my sheep, right? That, that's the role. So uh, their job is to care for the flock. So here's what we see more than anything, though. God has gifted people to be spiritual leaders in his house through spiritual giftings. God has gifted people to be spiritual leaders in his house through spiritual giftings. And there's nothing weird or scary about it, but it is spiritual. So it's different, okay? Paul's basically saying God has provided spiritual leadership to the church through these giftings, and here's why. Here's why Christ has provided these things to the church. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to equip, to equip the church to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature. Everyone say mature, mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Let's continue reading in Ephesians four. Let's, let's look at a virgin, uh, verses 13 through, or 14 through 16. It says this, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. And we won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. You know, right now I think of our climate that we're in. And if we're not grounded in God's word, if we're not grounded in our knowledge of Jesus and his teachings, then we might get to a place where we are convinced that something like abortion is okay. Now, I know people I love near and dear to my heart this is something they've had this is something they've experienced loved ones and i am not in here to berate someone who's had an abortion and there is grace for that amen but but for us but for us to agree that it is okay to take human life and this isn't a political agenda this is a sin issue that's what it is i'm not up here you know but but if god forms us in our womb if he knit us together and if he if he's able to work all things together for good okay then, I, I mean, but we, those are only things we know if we're rooted in our knowledge of Christ, if we're rooted in our knowledge of his word. Okay, if we're not rooted in his word, then, then we might come into agreement with the fact, I'm not trying to step on toes here, I'm just trying to bring the truth. That, that we might come, then we might come into the agreement that you know, same-sex relationships are okay, but this is, you know, I just don't see that being God's will. I don't see that being what God's word teaches. He created man and woman to be together. Again, this isn't a political, I know these are hot topics, you know, in, in some of that politi- political atmosphere, but I have to believe if God is working all things together for our good, if he loves us, if he created us, if he's the author of our story, then I have to believe that his will and what he's put in place is what's best for me. And I am not gonna be blown around by the winds you know, and, and here's the deal. If you find yourself in a place where, you know, maybe abortion is a part of your past or, or something you've walked through in one way or another, come on, welcome. Welcome. You, listen, if same sex attraction, homosexual, you find yourself in, in a homosexual relationship right now, come on up, seek Jesus. I want, you, I want you to seek Jesus. I think something the church has done a terrible job at is those who struggle with certain sins. We don't have a place for you, you can't be here. You know what I'm saying, and it's okay. I think we have to understand that we can love each other and we can disagree. Just because, just because, just because I can't line up with certain things, man, that doesn't mean I hate you, right? That doesn't mean I want nothing to do with you and I want to throw you to the wind. So these are, but but this is, you know, we're not going to be blown around by every teaching we hear about on the media and in the news. Like, no, I'm grounded. But but for us to be grounded, we got to be mature. If we're not mature. We're gonna be blown around, okay? Is this okay? Verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love. That's what we're gonna do. I'm not gonna hate you. I'm not gonna berate you. I'm not gonna hold the sign and march around, you know, downtown square and tell you that, you know, whatever. We, we've all seen the signs. But instead, I'm gonna speak the truth in love, right? Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body in the church. says he makes the whole body fit together perfect as each part does its own special work, as I do my role, as I play my spiritual role, as you walk out your spiritual role, it helps the other parts grow. There is so much purpose in you carrying out your individual calling within the church because I I think sometimes we can fall into this where it's my job to help people grow. No, 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 you don't understand. I'm partnering with y'all. We, collectively, help each other grow, amen? So it says, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a church that's full of love. Kim, if you'd be okay to come up on the keys. Um, church, just like 1 Corinthians 12 says, we got to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Amen. And, and you operating within your own spiritual gifting is vital to the health and growth of this body. Um. But I want to apologize as your pastor because especially in this area of spiritual gifting, I think it's something that, you know, the church hasn't done a a great job, but me personally, I don't think I've done a great job encouraging and challenging us to seek this and to ask the Lord for this or even teaching on it. So I think I've dropped the ball in that area and I I want to apologize for this because I think this is vital to us going deeper, maturing more, becoming healthier as a church, Is us stepping into the roles that God has placed within us and um, so again I, I don't I don't think I've done a great job in that area and, and and it's funny because like almost every time I pray it one of my prayers is God I want to be a man full of the fruit of your spirit and full of the gifts of your spirit I always pray that I, I've taken time talking with my staff throughout the week you know Jo- Joshua no know, like, we, we've sat down, and, and we've talked, like, man, here, here's the, are we eagerly seeking these gifts? Are we desiring these gifts? And, and, and we've read through the scriptures, and we've talked about them, and like, God, if this is something you have for me, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss out on, on what you're wanting to give me here. I, so, um, but today, as a body, today we start seeking, right? Today, we start eagerly desiring these gifts, because again, if they're from God, I don't know about you, but I want them. If they're from God, I want them. God, if this is a gifting you give to your people, I want it. And based off what we read in the scriptures, here's a brief list of of spiritual gifts that we see are found in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not just, I mean, he tells us to seek them, okay? And I see people grow into their gifting. So, So... I think sometimes we have this misconception of my spiritual gifting is going to be something that magically sprinkles upon me. But I see in the scriptures to seek them. And if we were to be honest in the room, I don't know that all of us have taken time or intentionally sought a spiritual gifting. Maybe you have. I, I hope you have. So I want to do an activity. If you got, you know, maybe get out your phone. Everyone get out your phone or, or, or maybe get out a piece of paper with a pen or something down. I, I want to read through a list of spiritual giftings here that we find in the scriptures that we see god gives through his holy spirit and maybe it's all of them which is come on pray for but maybe there's one that that jumps out to you or that pricks your heart and i want you to begin seeking god for that spiritual gifting, asking god to give it to you maybe it's one maybe it's more than one maybe it's all of them but we got to start somewhere and, and i want to do something practical to help launch us in, into becoming a more mature church Us operating in the fullness of our role. Is that okay? So here we go. I'm gonna read these. One, the gift of administration, the gift of being an apostle, the gift of discernment, gift of evangelism, gift of exhortation, of faith, the gift of giving, the gift of healing, the gift of hospitality gift of knowledge, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, the gift of prophecy, the gift of serving, the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of teaching, which is also sometimes known as the gift of shepherding, the gift of wisdom. Again, I know this is probably different for people because some of us probably grew up in churches that didn't really talk a whole lot about the spiritual gifts, or, or, or maybe had the thought that they weren't for today. But if, but if these gifts are meant for the building up of in the health of the church, in the maturing of the church, I have a hard time seeing why God wouldn't desire these gifts to still be at work and in play in his church today, because that mission still exists. So I wanna close with this. Um, story about Philip in the Bible, and maybe we don't hear about Philip a whole lot. Um, but we see this cool progression of a guy that matured in his spiritual gifting, in his spiritual calling. Check this out. It says this, Acts um, 6, 1 through 5. So at this time, the, the church is exploding. Jesus has ascended. He's poured out his spirit. The believers, they're they're ministering. The gospel, this is, the gospel just exploding. The church is exploding. So check this out. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, as they're just growing and growing, there were rumblings of discontentment. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. It's like, come on, you're not giving our widows any of the food. You give it more to them. And they're like, no, come on, we get the same amount. Like, no, it's fine. You know, there's, there's grumblings and there's discontentment, okay? There's drama going down in the church. Imagine that. Drama in the church. It says, so the 12, talking about the 12 apostles, it says they called the meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles... They okay, should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Okay, so they're not saying we're too good to do this, but they're saying I've been gifted specifically to do this. This is how God has gifted us through his spirit. And as we grow, as we get bigger, if we have to do this and do this, then we're not gonna be operating in the fullness of this gifting. We need to delegate we need, so we can grow and mature. Okay, so they're like, I, we can't, this is, is taken away from this, and we need both of these things, but we're only getting 50% on both sides. We need 100 here and 100 here. So they say, find seven men who are full of the Spirit of God, who are full of wisdom. Upright guys. Find seven of them. It says, then we, then we apostles, we can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Verse five it says, everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Notice this. They go on to list, list the men that they chose. They chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He gets this like cool little title added to his name, right? And then Philip, okay, that's it, that's it for Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles, who then prayed for them, and they laid hands on them, and and they commissioned them to go. I love in the the scriptures you'll see when someone's getting commissioned to step into a leadership role or to carry something out. You know the the Bible talks about how we lay hands on each other to flame, um, you know, to fan into flame the gift that God's put in us. So they they lay hands and they commission them, and and I love how you don't see. I don't see it in the dialogue. They don't go, "You want us to handle the food? Come on, I'm, I'm full of God's spirit." I'm gifted. I'm full of wisdom. You want me to just hand out bread? That's what. That's what you want me to do. No, no. All right. All right. God, if, if this is what you want me to do, you want me to serve. You want me to be. You, you want me to operate in that gift of serve, God. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm, I'm going to be faithful. Okay, I'm going I'm to be faithful, patient. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. That, that's what I'll do. So we, we see these seven men. They move in. Remember Phillips and those seven men, and then. A couple chapters later in Acts, um, now I know this gets confusing because we have, remember, so before Paul was ever Paul, Paul's the guy who wrote the letters of Ephesians, okay? Everyone give me a thumbs up. Paul wrote Ephesians. But before Paul became this great Christian missionary, we've talked about this, he was going around persecuting Christians, okay? And, and in that time we see him, he's more referred to as Saul. So Saul's going around killing Christians, persecuting Christians, whatever, Okay? And then he got radically transformed by Jesus in Acts chapter nine, okay? But this is in Acts chapter eight, so this is before that transformation. Thumbs up, we still okay? I know it's a lot, I'm throwing a lot at you. So there's this guy, Saul, he's persecuting the Christians, right, so the church, they they scatter because they, they hear about this dude, Saul, who's coming for him, okay? But then Saul gets transformed and does a lot of great things for the Lord. But it says this, but the believers who scattered preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, y'all remember Philip? Guy who was handing out bread, like just just one of those guys. It says, Philip, for example, he scattered, he went to the city of Samaria and t- told the people there about the Messiah. And crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Okay, many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy. We see Philip, he was faithful in a season then he scattered and he said, God, God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to be full. You've been, you've been so good. I want my life to reflect you. He just starts to preach. Come on. He just, he just, and then he lays hands. God, would you heal? Would you, would you restore? He he begins to operate in, in his spiritual gifting, right? You can see he's, he's growing, but that's not where the story stops. I love this. Like 20 chapters later. We, we forgot about Philip. We're like, man, that was so cool how Philip grew and matured and, you know, stepped into a role, and, and God developed him. And, man, that was awesome. Twenty chapters later. Remember, remember when we talked about how Paul walked into Ephesus, spent three years there, loved on the people, pastored the people, and then down by the boats, they cried when he left? Do y'all remember that? Okay. Good. Paul gets in the boat. Paul gets in the boat, he cries at the people of Ephesus, you know, I love you guys, you have great memories, you got to tell your kids I love them, okay, all right, and, and Paul sails across, Paul sails across the sea, and then when he gets to the other side, you know whose house he goes to? Philip's. Check this out, just a small little verse I found, small little verse I found, in, in close to the end of Acts, but, it, but it, it was huge. It goes, the next day, we went on to Caesarea, and we stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist. Philip, the evangelist. Philip, the evangelist. And just so, just to prove, it's the same guy. It says he, It says that Philip, the evangelist, was one of the seven men who was chosen, who had been chosen to distribute food. And how many of us, you want me to hand out bread? Right. So, We gotta start somewhere. We gotta step in somewhere. But eagerly desire, God, mature me, grow me. God, I wanna be a man full of your your spirit. I wanna be a man full of your power. I want you to do, I, I want you to do miracles in me and through me, not for my glory, but for your if you have gifts you want to put in me? God, I want them. I want to receive them. Come on. And then we start to put into practice, begin to eagerly desire and to seek God in that way. And then, and then check this out. Philip, the evangelist, and he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. So I see that not only Philip, you know, was out out, out in the field, but he raised up a family who loved the Lord. He raised up a family who, and he raised up and he led a family that would then operate in their gifting. Man, this is so good. I saw that story and I was like, holy cow. Holy cow. He went from bread guy to Philip the evangelist. Philip the evangelist. That's a whole message in itself right there. I'm going to bring that one to a youth conference for sure. (laughs) So I want to conclude with this. I want to conclude with this. Just just read this verse. You guys can stand. Ben, you can come on up. I want to read this verse. Ephesians 4. 11 through 16 it says now these are the gifts christ gave to the church the apostles the prophets the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers their responsibility is to equip god's people to do his work and build up the church the body of christ this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of god's son that we will be mature in the lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of christ then we will no longer be immature like children we won't be tossed about and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body in the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing.